0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series, and we're kind of right in the middle of it, called Losing My Religion. And um, the whole crux of it is that there's a lot of stuff that gets added on to a very simple, straightforward message. And sometimes that stuff gets so huge, it gets in the way. Sometimes it's, it's just... Stupid stuff like people burning books, you know, Uh, sometimes it's kind of cruel stuff like picketing funerals and making a lot of noise. Um, Sometimes it's even good stuff, you know, just the good stuff that we do um, for all the wrong reasons. And so for this whole series, the, the working definition that we're using when we're talking about religion is anything that I do or you do to try to earn God's favor. To, to try to win his love, to try to get him to think well of me. And that can be a lot of good things that we do, but anything that I do to try to get God's love, that's religion, okay? And that can become toxic. It can sometimes become toxic and, and, and lead to um, all kinds of performance, you know? I got I to prove my way, conformity. We, we focus on the outside, the externals, which often leads to hypocrisy. But at the heart of it, there's something very, very pure. and if you can get past the religion, the, the good and the bad, um, there's a very simple message to it and it's really what we're talking about this morning. Um, I had the opportunity uh, last month, my wife and I went to visit our son in Rome. Uh, he's in school there, actually he's done now, but we went to visit him before he came home and uh, we went and if, you've ever got, if you ever get the chance to go to Rome, just do it. Do it. There is so much to see. And, and I just want to show you... I, you didn't think you were coming to see home movies today, did you? <clears throat> what I did on my spring vacation. Um, but I just want to show you. This Actually, this is not my picture because we weren't allowed to take pictures here. Um, we had to buy the postcard in the gift shop. Um, but that's the catacombs. And, and it's, it's, that's where first century church met. Those early first century believers. There's actually churches chapels that are carved into the rock and and there's very narrow you can't get this feel of it but that's very narrow passageways and those little cutouts in the wall where they would bury their dead because they couldn't bury them where everybody else did because the religion was outlawed so they literally met underground and and that that was just so powerful so powerful and then the very next day this is where we went St. Peter's Basilica, which is like the extreme opposite of an underground catacomb, okay? It's so it's huge. I, I'm told it can seat 60,000 people. And it is so beautiful. It is ornate. There are golden altars. There's inlaid marble tile floor. That's just incredible, like without grout, you know, just beautiful, beautiful handiwork. And, and, and I, believe me, I, I think that's wonderful. I, I really do, although it, it kind of points out the difference between the simple faith and, and what it can become. And, and I do believe in giving God our best. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful tribute to give God the very, very best. Um, but, but it just points out, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this series and, and walking those streets and seeing the contrast between when it was an outlawed religion to when it became the law of the land, the religion of the land. Huge difference huge difference. And then we went one more place and, and I have to tell you this is the most moving place I have ever been to in my life. The Colosseum. And I stood there I remember standing there and just surprise surprise weeping <laughs> <laughs> to think what went, what went on. And, and the, the floor is gone you can see they tried to kind of recreate a little bit of the lower part but the flooring of that is gone. But the, all that underground was where prisoners were held, where the, where the animals were held, where the gladiators met, okay? All of that underground. And then they came up and gladiator fights. all kinds of things. But what struck me was the number of believers, thousands of believers who lost their lives rather than give up their faith. And, and it was just moving to me to, to think about that. And there's one more picture I want to show you. And you probably can't make it here, but let me show you. Right here, there's a cross. And what was once a place of torture and, and destruction of those who would follow the cross, a cross now stands. And it's just, just powerful. And I was thinking about that. What is it that made people do that? Why would someone give up their life rather than give up their faith? And I'll tell you, it's not because of golden altars, and it's not because of inlaid tile, marble tile. And it's, it's really not even about a religious system or, or a great moral and ethical code to live by. That's not what people give their lives for. What they gave their lives for were two simple things, a wooden cross and an empty grave. And when you strip it all down, when you get past all the religion stuff, it really comes down to that. In fact, that's what Paul wrote about. He wrote a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. And this is what he, this is what he wrote to them. First Corinthians, if you want to follow along, chapter 15. Um, Which if you don't know, this is just a letter. And then it's got all these numbers by it so we can all get on the same page. But that's what that's all about. This is what Paul wrote to this church. He said, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. What Paul is saying is, if you can get past the religion, if you strip it all down, if it comes down to the the absolute essentials, this is it. A wooden cross and an empty grave. And if you think about it, there is nothing religious about that. Nothing religious about that. Resurrection is better than religion. (laughs) It's better than religion. It's more powerful than religion. It is beyond religion. Transcends religion. In fact, he goes on. And he says, this is so important. This is so critical to our faith that he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But... He did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are are to be pitied more than all others. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since... Death came through a human being. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What he is saying in that little paragraph is, if you take away the resurrection, the rest of it doesn't matter. This is foundational. If you stripped everything else away, what you need to know this morning is Christianity was not founded on the teachings of Jesus. It was not birthed on the, on the moral code, the ethical code of Jesus. It was not birthed on the miracles of Jesus. It was birthed on a single human event in history. Resurrection, what we celebrate this morning. And Paul says, without that, it's nothing else. In fact, he says, if there's no resurrection, then, then Christianity is just another religion. That's what he says. You're, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. Now, I know some people will say, all preaching is useless. I know some preachers who say all preaching is useless, but our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He says it means nothing if there's not a resurrection. It's just another religion, so go ahead, pick one. Because it doesn't matter. Pick a religion, any religion. It really doesn't matter. Because if there's no resurrection, then there's really nothing to this whole thing. Because religion can only take you so far. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. For those of you who don't know, C.S. Lewis, um, he was an Oxford professor and uh, lived in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And um, he didn't come to Christ until very, very late in his life. In fact, he was an atheist for most of his life, and he decided to investigate the, c- the claims of Christ, which led him to a faith in Christ. But he wrote a book called The Aboli- he wrote a number of books. This one's called The Abolition of Man. And in that he did research, and just all of the major world religions, in fact, even the minor religions. Every religion, he said, and what he did was, investigating them all, he found that there are eight common commandments in all religions. That no matter what else all religions disagree on, there are eight things that every religion in this world agrees on. Every religion. So no matter what your religious background, no matter what your church background, even if you have no background, that these things are common to all religions. Let me, let me read them to you. Every religion has some form of these eight commandments. Do not harm others in word word or deed second one honor your parents every religion has some form of commandment that says be kind to siblings and to the elderly be honest in your business dealings don't lie don't have sex with another person's spouse care for those who are weaker and put others first all religions of the world have those at least those eight commandments in common All religions do. Now, here's the thing. We're going to do a little audience participation this morning, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these eight commandments. And what I'd like you to do is just raise your hand, okay? So first one, if you have ever, ever done anything, either by a word spoken or something you've done, and hurt somebody else, just raise your hand. Come on, be honest, okay? All right, okay, very good. Um, If you at any time in your life ever Dishonored your parents. Raise your hands. Okay. Um, Anybody here ever been mean to your brother or sister? (laughs) Like this morning, you know? Okay. Anybody here ever in any business transaction, any business dealing, any purchase been a little less than completely honest. All right? Anybody here ever told a lie? Okay, now this next one, I know everybody's getting really nervous. (laughs) You're you're looking at that list and we're working our way down and we're going, uh-oh. Oh, Oh, this is going to be really embarrassing. Maybe he'll skip that one. Okay, so let's do it this way. How many have ever read a book, watched a TV program, or been to a movie in which one of the characters had sex with another person's spouse? All right, okay, we got through that one. Here's the point. All religion can do is set the standard, and we don't live up to it. See, that's, that's, that's where religion can only get you so far. Religion can say, this is the standard. This is God's standard. But it doesn't give us the power to live up to Him. And every religion in this world, every religion will tell you, these things, those eight things, those are the essentials. If nothing else, those eight commandments are essential. And in fact, you don't even need religion to tell you that. You don't need religion to tell you, because you, you don't even live up to your own standards. None of us do. I let myself down. I disappoint myself. And, and, and all of this lane of standards, just, it doesn't make it. In fact, if you want to talk about standards, read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because he, he ups the ante. He goes beyond your behavior and your actions. He says it has to do with your heart and the attitudes and the stuff that goes on in your mind that nobody else sees. You want standards, they're there. And we all know that because we have all got them, religious or not. And religion can only take you that far. That's what Paul's talking about here. If you've ever had to apologize for something you've done to somebody else, if you've ever felt like you've had to make up for a wrong you committed, if you ever had to pay back something that you took, you've fallen short of the standard. You've fallen short of your own standard. And what we need is something completely different. And the resurrection changes the conversation. It shifts it completely in another direction. Paul says, it's so important that, that we hinge everything on this. Not, not the religious standards, but our very lives hinge on this. And that's why the early church so insisted on it. That's why they were willing to give their lives for it, because they said, this is the truth. This is something that that nobody else offers. And they were willing to die for it. And they preached it. It was central to the message. And Paul says, in fact, more than that, if there's no resurrection, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. He says, that's our message. If that's not true, then then we're just liars. We're perpetuating a hoax. You know, we're just just continuing a lie. He says it's not a lie. It's not a hoax. It's not a conspiracy. It wasn't mass hallucinations. Because after he rose from the dead, he didn't just go right up to heaven. He appeared. Over and over again, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes two-on-one, sometimes in large crowds. It says he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. At the time he wrote this, he said, you can check this out for yourself. You can interview people who actually saw him. It's that important. Without the resurrection, it's just another religion and with that without the resurrection then we're found to be failures and religion condemns us for our failures Paul said and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins see what is also common to all religion setting the standard nobody lives up to it what's common to all religions is we fail to meet the standard and we know that because all religions offer ways to how do, you, how do you fix that problem. So religion just leaves me condemned. There's no hope for me because I can't live up to that standard. And the truth is, nobody is as good as they appear to be. <laughs> nobody. Not me. Not you. Nobody's as good as we appear to be. And, and so what he says is, and well, well, actually what we do is... Um, we say things like Well I'm only human See that not being able To live up to the standard The Bible calls that sin We don't like the word sin So we use a different word What word do we use instead? Mistake Mistake We don't want to say sin We just We make a mistake I just, I just made a mistake Listen Not getting your checkbook To balance Is a mistake Forgetting to carry the decimal point is a mistake. Patting your expense account, dealing deceitfully in a transaction, violating your marriage vows, that's not a mistake. (laughs) That's something very, very different. And the excuse that we use is, but but I'm only human. I mean, nobody's perfect. And, And Paul would say, exactly right. That's the problem. He says what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. What he says is, here's the problem. It's in us. It's in us. It's in me. It's in you. It's in our nature. And again, we don't want to think of ourselves as being sinful. We don't want to think of ourselves as having a sinful nature. And so we use words like mistake. Mistake. And even church people, even religious people say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good guy. And the problem is that we're always comparing ourselves with each other. We never compare ourselves with God. We all compare ourselves with each other. And you can always find somebody who's worse than you, everybody can. Comparing with each other doesn't change anything. We say, I'm not so bad. We compare ourselves. In fact, I compare myself with you. I do, and I'm a professional. (laughs) You know, I'm a professional Christian. I mean, it's like you know, you're down here, Billy Graham's up here, and I'm somewhere in the middle. That's you know, that's where I fit. Because it's my job. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. As long as I'm comparing myself to somebody else, that's where that's where it falls on the scale. He says, no, the problem is there is a sin nature and you don't see it because you've just gotten used to it. In fact, we read the paper or or we watch a news event and we read read about her or see about a man who was arrested because he abducted a girl like 20 years ago and kept her captive in in his own home and actually had two children by her and now she's grown an adult and been discovered and and he's arrested and we, we read something like that and we go, how in the world does that stuff happen? Who could do such a thing? We read about um, executives who, who just take all this money to themselves while their, their company goes bankrupt, or, or, or leaders of, of, world, of, of world countries and, and they, they pad their own luxury and the rest of their country just lives in tatters. And we say, How can people be like that? What, what causes somebody to act that way? And the answer is because what's in them is what's in you and in me, just amplified. See, it's the same greed that's in us, that's in them, just to a higher degree. It's the same lust. It's the same pride. It's the same stuff, just amplified. And that's why the resurrection is so important because we know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. And what happens is that puts us at odds with God. The religion says, this is what you ought not do, and I do it anyway. And when I do, it puts me at odds with God, because that's what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin destroys relationships. You know that in your own human relationships. If you have done something to hurt a friend, it just damages the relationship, destroys the relationship. And then you feel like the rest of your life, you've got to keep apologizing. You've got to keep doing something to make up for it if you want to have this relationship. The same thing happens in your relationship with God. What's in them is what's in me. And what's in me causes me to be separated from God. And that's the inadequacy of religion. He says it's not because it's wrong. It's because it's rendered powerless by what's in us. What we need is a different answer. What we need is grace. And the resurrection is the proof Of the power of grace. See that's what the resurrection. That's why it's so critical. Because it says not only did Jesus take my sins upon him. When he died on the cross. And when he was buried he took to death. Those things that put me to death. But the resurrection says he's got power over death. And sin and hell. That that he is powerful. That he can really change my life. That his grace wins. His grace is powerful. Powerful not, not just to forgive my past. But to set me on a right course Now. That's why the resurrection is so important because it all comes down to God's grace, what he has done for us, not what we do for him, what he has done for us. And and he says, that's what it comes down to. It's grace. And he says, by the grace of God, not by the things that I've done, not by how how zealous I am in my religion, not how, how good I am at rule keeping. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Grace is powerful stuff. And we are in desperate need of it. The resurrection says it's available. Without the resurrection, it's just another religion. And I'm still condemned in my sin. But his grace says, no, there's something new. There's something different. And not only for this life. There is an assurance about my future. See, without the resurrection, I have no assurance about my future. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if there's no resurrection, then we're just wasting our time. We're pitiful <laughs> because we put our hope into something that never was and never will be. And we've got no assurance of anything. If there's no resurrection. See, what the resurrection says is there is more to life. That you were meant for something more. And every time, every time that you see something or say to, and say to yourself something along the lines of, but that's not right. That's not fair. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know where that comes from? That comes from the heart cry, that inner longing that things should be made right. And what the resurrection says is that someday, someday it will all be made right. This longing we have for fairness, this longing we have for rightness, this longing that we have for things that that should be and are not is that cry for eternity. And the resurrection says it's a reality. It is a reality. See, the best that religion can do Is make us aware of our need Set the standard And then show us how miserably we fail it That's the best religion can do And and, and religions might say Okay, so do this And give it your best shot And good luck (laughs) And we'll see you on the other side Maybe Resurrection says no This is real stuff And you've got it available to you he says that the dead are not raised and then he quotes the Epicurean philosophers who said let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die and he's not saying we should be pitied because we're missing, we're missing the party <laughs> what he's saying is this philosophy that this is all there is in life and so get everything you can out of it and make it as enjoyable as you possibly can and live the best and, and most luxurious and whatever you can get that's it that's what he's saying because he's saying, if there's no resurrection, if there is no future for us, then, then we ought to put our eggs in this basket here. But he goes on, he says, but Christ truly has been raised from the dead. The first one and proof that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For in Adam, all of us die. In the same way in Christ, all of us will be made alive li- again. See, this is what makes Christianity unique is the resurrection. The resurrection says there is a standard. See, Jesus lived up to the standard. He endorsed the standard. He lived by the standard. He's the only one that ever did it. So there's nothing wrong with the standard in itself. It just can't get us there because of our human nature. And so what we could not do for ourselves, Christ did for us And what we celebrate this morning When we celebrate his resurrection Is the proof that what he does Is all that needs to be done that, that our future That our life That the kingdom of God Is now made available What you were designed for What you were created for What God had in mind when he made you Is now available to you Not because you earned it or deserved it Because somebody did it for you Andy Stanley Andy Stanley in his book, The Grace of God, puts it this way. He says, Christ's death and resurrection signaled to the world that the kingdom of God is not reserved for good people. It is reserved for forgiven people. Good forgiven people, pretty good forgiven people, not so good forgiven people. See, sometimes the complaint about Christianity is, well, it's just too exclusive. It's too narrow. It's just not fair. But I can't think of anything fairer. That, and he goes on, he says, here's the thing. This is the fairest fairest thing possible, fairest offer that could possibly be made, because everybody's invited. Everybody can meet the requirement and everybody gets in the same way. Would you bow your heads with me?